Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, a number of different topics, including efforts to provide high-speed Internet access to the more than a million Ohioans who don't have it yet, tips for avoiding Medicare fraud, why libraries pay more for digital media than for traditional hard-copy library materials, and how Akron's Bounce Innovation Hub is getting ready to showcase some new business ventures. All this and more coming up. First, a conversation with Ohio Lieutenant Governor John Husted about how communities and nonprofits can apply for grants through the state's new $250 million broadband expansion program. These grants are designed to serve those Ohioans who the private sector won't serve. Most of us who have high-speed internet buy it from a private sector provider, but many of those investments to expand it won't exist for a lot of people because they can't make money off of them. So we have to come in and make the economics of this work. So communities, not-for-profits that want to expand internet, these resources are targeted at them. It wouldn't necessarily be regular broadband providers like a Spectrum or a Comcast or something like that applying for the grant. It might be let's say, the city of Salina or something like that, applying for the grant and then having like a municipal broadband, right? Well, it could be that, or it could be a local partnership with a private sector provider, or it could be a not-for-profit. We've worked with one called PCs for People that build towers on local community infrastructure, like schools and, and towers that the community may have that will send signals out for about a mile and a half radius and connect people to those signals to give them access to high-speed Internet. So there are many ways that we can do it. That's why we like community partners. They can be creative. A lot of times these are being used in neighborhoods, lower-income neighborhoods or small towns perhaps that, that are rural that don't have access. So those are the kinds of projects. People can be creative. We're just interested in providing high-speed Internet to as many people as we can at the lowest price possible. You know, I read an article over the weekend that said that much of this money, as we know, is going to be directed toward rural areas. And, of course, they definitely need that. But there are some pockets of urban neighborhoods in the bigger cities that don't have it as well. And there was some concern that the rural areas were going to be prioritized over the urban areas that might actually have more people. I wonder if you could speak to that. Is there a way to kind of equalize that and make sure that everybody has a shot at this money? Yeah, everybody has a shot. All you have to be able to prove is that you don't have access to affordable high-speed internet and you're eligible to receive the funds. There's no bias toward rural or urban. We've actually done projects in both areas. We did one in East Cleveland. We've done them in Appalachia. We've done them all over the state. The key is that the community doesn't have access to high-speed Internet, and they have a plan on how to solve that. And if you do that and you bring it forward, then you're eligible to receive some of these resources. And obviously... The state government and the public in general has a real interest in expanding this access. I wonder if you could speak to that in terms of how it will affect people's lives. 
Well, yeah, because you can't participate in the modern economy, healthcare, or education system without it. You can't work from home if you don't have access to high-speed internet. You can't do your homework or get your assignments do distance learning. You can't do telehealth visits, particularly for people who are elderly and maybe have a hard time getting out of their home to go to the doctor's office. These are all essential parts of being and functioning in modern life. And we got a lot of people who don't have that access. So simply stated, these are resources that the state is making available to help local communities solve these problems. And and also I want to emphasize the affordable aspect. We know that in a lot of lower income areas, the reason that the private sector doesn't put their, their investments there is because they can't get enough people to buy it at the rate that they want to charge. So we're trying to figure out other options so that it can be lower cost and people who maybe are lower income can afford it. So all of those factors are in play as we try to solve this problem. That's interesting because it sounds like there's money there, let's say, for the infrastructure to put up towers or perhaps to lay cable, depends on where it is and what would be the best, so that you've got your initial capital outlay. But in order to keep it affordable, would there be some sort of continuing subsidy so that what they charge would be lower or subsidies then that people who can prove their income level well, could there, get a lower yeah. cost? How's that going to work? There are different business models. But look, the aim for the infrastructure is the big cost. So if you take that cost away from the Internet service provider, they are now in a position to provide more affordable service. For example, through PCs for People, we're doing it for $17 a month for high-speed internet. There's also another model that is an advertising model where it's free, but you have to watch an advertisement once every 30 minutes when you're on as part of how they pay for the service. So there are a lot of different ways that we can do this and make it affordable. Nothing's free in the world. We know that. That's That's what the state dollars are there for, to pay for that initial infrastructure investment and then hope through a low-cost subscription rate we can make it sustainable and affordable. And so far, we've proven that we can do that. Next, a bit of a follow-up on last week's story about state law enforcement efforts to fight robocalls. Today, we're talking to the director of the Ohio Senior Health Insurance Information Program, Chris Rieg, about what seniors can do to keep from getting ripped off by fraudsters as Medicare open enrollment gets underway. Do not give out your Medicare number, your Social Security number, your bank account numbers, credit card numbers. That's what the fraudsters are ultimately after. And they're very creative. Um, They use changes in news. For example, you might get a phone call saying, hey, due to COVID, Medicare is sending out all new cards. We just need you to confirm your information. That is absolutely false. Um, Never give out your personal information from somebody that calls you up and is asking for that type of information. Medicare will not call you unless you have initiated uh, some type of casework with them directly. And now a brief conversation with the director of the Akron Summit County Public Library about why digital media, which has become increasingly popular during the pandemic, is also increasingly expensive and what they're trying to do about it. 
Libraries can buy multiple copies of print books from any seller and then lend them to people because of a legal principle called the first sale doctrine, which is part of copyright law. But first sale doctrine does not apply to digital content. Digital content uses a model of subscribing rather than owning. So we pay money for a time-limited access to e-books. So instead of getting a steep discount, we generally pay more. So then who would you have to lobby to get this change? Would you have to lobby Congress to get this change yes. in terms of copyright? Yes, yes. We would have to lobby Congress. Uh, the ALA, American Library Association, has been working on that. There's been some work in, in a committee of Congress, but there's been no movement yet. Interestingly, just this summer, the Maryland Assembly voted to pass a law that requires publishers to offer electronic literary product licenses to Maryland libraries on reasonable terms. And finally, mark your calendars now for Thursday, September 30th. That's when Akron's Bounce Innovation Hub is holding their annual startup showcase. Senior Director of Entrepreneurial Services, James Hilton. So we're inviting young entrepreneurs, people who might be interested in starting a business or maybe already are, but they're not engaged with some sort of bounce programming yet. And we're bringing them in to have various entrepreneurial services, workshops, presentations, and things like that in the first half of the day. So can you tell me what some of these businesses are that you're going to be showcasing? What kinds of things do they do? What kinds of innovative work are they involved in right now? One company is a company called Tundun. They are a software startup out of our software accelerator. They're actually one of the last companies that I'm still directly mentoring. So essentially what they do is they provide simplified task management for building services companies. So think about anyone that maybe is running janitorial or custodial, a lot of frontline workers in the United States. They provide an intuitive and AI-powered way to help facilitate task and task orientation for companies like that. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.